Oh man, it's been a, it's been a good uh, Christmas season uh, for my family, and we've rested and just had a really good time of reconnecting. Um, I, I'll tell you this, I, I, this is kind of off script, which happens a lot around here, but um, I had a, a pray through starting back in like September, October about the direction our church was going and what God would have us do in the upcoming year and had charted out. Usually I'm, I'm around eight to 12 months in advance working on sermons. So like what I am in my devotion time, in my journal, uh, praying through, usually will come out in like August, September of next year. Um, and, and then there's these moments where God just kind of wrecks everything that I'm doing. And it's like, yeah, those were cute ideas that you wrote down on the paper and someday we'll use them. But right now we're just going to readjust and do something different. And, uh, I think going into next year, I need you to know that I'm in a, uh, I'm excited because I feel God very loudly speaking to me, but I'm also a little nervous because I'm not, I'm not more than like a week out right now on what I feel like the Lord's asking me to do. I've got stuff written down on paper, but I feel like he's not wanting me to use any of that. And I don't know how to stand up here and preach stuff that I just have in my back pocket. Uh, it, it's gotta, I've got to sense conviction from God that it's the right season. And the word's always in season, but I want to make sure that I'm preaching in season with the word of God to you. And so I don't know what the new year holds necessarily. I don't even have a sermon title for the sermon series. I don't even know if we're in a sermon series next week. Uh, but I do know that God's speaking to me, and I've got about nine pages of scrap paper on my desk right now with just doodles and ideas and things that I feel like the Lord's told me to talk about. Here, here's what the Lord's most convicting me of right now, though. And I feel like I need to share it from the onset of this sermon. Um, I am a grand gesture kind of guy. Maybe you can relate to this. I believe that in one act of romantic love, I can make up for six months of not taking my wife on a date. And so, so I, I just go big. I go big. We're, we're just going to cram it all in in four hours. We're going to need all the things. We're going to have all of the moments. There's going to be a carriage ride. I'm probably going to sing awkwardly to her. Uh, it, we're going to go to a fancy dinner. Like, I'm going to spend more money than we should spend. I'm going to sit up after the date worried about how we're going to, you know, like recover from what I just did. But in my mind, one grand gesture will like wash out a lot of bad, not consistent things that I've been doing. Anybody with me on that? You ever been there? Like for, how many of you have like, you've given your kid a tablet for 12 months and then you're like, but one grand Christmas can fix all of the lack of attention I've given or uh, you've, you've not worked out, but in your mind tomorrow, magically, you're going to wake up with the grit and the motivation of Arnold Schwarzenegger before he won Mr. Universe, and you are going to go and pump some iron and get into the best shape of your life. In your mind, it's you're just one grand gesture away. Well, uh, there's a guy that's like that in the Bible. His name was Saul, and he didn't want to wait on uh, the priest of God to come and offer the sacrifice. So he thought that he would get ahead of the priest and do what wasn't his job. And so he did something grand thinking God would be happy with it. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, this is what God said to him. He said this, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than the offering of the fat of rams. And I felt conviction about this. I scribbled it down and took a picture of it on my phone so that I could read you some excerpts of it. 
because this is where I'm at right now. Uh, a lot of conviction here. But here, here's the deal. I love what is spectacular. I love what is eye-catching. I love what is awesome. But God loves simple, basic, daily obedience. It's his greatest desire from us. If we have just come out of this Christmas season, we've realized that on one silent night, the world changed, but most of the world didn't know it. Some shepherds knew because an angelic host appeared. Some wise man began what was likely an 18 to two year, 18 month to two year journey. They knew, but Herod and the entire kingdom of Israel had no clue. It was in an unspectacular night that the world changed where for them, they didn't see anything. And it teaches and reminds us of this. God desires devotion more than a ritual. And we're coming out of a season where culturally we get very ritualistic Everyone dresses up, everyone lights a candle, everyone comes to church, but what God wants from us most is a devoted, constant, pursuing heart. God likes obedience and desires obedience more than he desires sacrifice. Human nature is to overemphasize the erratic sacrifice over consistent obedience. But God values basic daily obedience over the erratic boisterous, sporadic, look-at-me sacrifice that man often thinks will catch the eye of God. Basic obedience doesn't feel like it will immediately change your world. But if we get the basics right, the radical change we desire most will often come soon. So here's what I want to do on the last Sunday of the year. I want to teach you something that most of you, as soon as I say it, are going to go, I know that. But most of you will also follow, I know that, with, I rarely practice it. There are some proven practices in the life of Jesus that if we would do them consistently, we would experience spiritual transformation at a rate that we've never experienced before. You see, the life that Jesus lived was a life lived dependent and led by the Holy Spirit. And the reason Jesus lived life that way is he knew that we would need an example of what the Christian way would look like when he wasn't walking on earth. So he lived a spirit-filled and spirit-led life. And within that life, there are some proven practices of what it looks like to live in daily communion with the Father. One of the most consistent things Jesus did as a proven practice, and the one that I want to talk to you about today, is that he he got alone with the Father. Over and over again, what we see consistently in the life of Jesus is him withdrawing from crowds to be alone with his father. And we see it in some radical moments of his ministry life. Let me give you some examples. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. So he goes out in the wilderness and before the devil comes to tempt him, what is he doing? He's getting alone with the Father. He's getting alone with the Father at such a focus that food is no longer an option. He needs to be near to the Father so bad that he doesn't have time to break for dinner, for lunch, or for breakfast. Now, I I am a three plus, I'm a four, 
I'm a 4.5 with some snacks miller a day. Any, anybody with me on that? My, my clock, my work calendar, it rotates around my eating, and it's not because I'm eating for protein and gains at this point in my life. It's because I'm eating for comfort and dealing with coping strategies of stress that I have in my life, and Chick-fil-A with those fries with a little swath of honey-roasted barbecue that has been overly processed and loaded with sugar is the way that I cope with a lot of you. But I want you to understand that there are some moments in life. <laughs> Is that too honest? Uh, there, there are some moments in life where you need communion with the Father more than you need food. Where you need closeness and clarity more than you need another meal. So your, your schedule shifts and instead of operating around a meal, you begin to operate around fellowship with the Father. You see, the, the point of fasting is that you and I would get clear in our focus and our vision of who God is and what God is doing in a season that is difficult to see him. You see, before Jesus is tempted by the devil, he walks alone with the Father. And the practice, the reason it's so proven and the reason it's so needed for many of us is that before we face temptation, it's important that we get along with God. So if you're in a season of addictive, addictive sinful behavior, Perhaps the new habit and addiction you need to begin to uh, feed in your life before you face temptation again is getting along with God. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus again withdraws to get along with the Father. It says this, One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. What's going on around that story? Well, just after Luke six twelve, Jesus goes down and he calls his 12 disciples He's on the brink of a major decision. So before he makes major decisions, he gets alone with God. So if you're facing temptation, the prescribe of the Bible would be get along with. And if you're making major decisions, life-changing decisions, the prescribe of the Bible that's not as sexy as maybe you want it to be would be get along with. Get along with. So you know it. But do you practice it? How many of you have bought major financial, made major financial commitments, made major fi uh, life decisions, but you didn't get along with God, and then you looked in the rearview mirror and went, that was kind of reckless. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 and 39, again, the practice is seen again. Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up, and he went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. We don't have time for this. How many of you as a mom or a dad that have kids in public school because they started ungodly hours in the public school system? I don't understand why my elementary school kid needs to be up and in your room by 745. That seems asinine to me. That's not conducive to me, one, being a good parent, two, me waking up and having a quiet time, three, me doing one sit-up. I don't even do that anymore. See, I used to do one out of bed. Now it's roll. Any of y'all there? That's how far you fell off the wagon. You used to do one sit-up, and it was like, oh, what a beautiful morning. Now you're just like, oh, <laughs> to the bathroom. Jesus was busy. Everyone's looking for him. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach, the, uh, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogue and casting out demons. What's going on here? Before Jesus begins a day of ministry, he first got along with God 
to figure out what the day of ministry should look like. Before you begin a full day, a full Monday, or a full new year, get along with God. I don't think some of you are understanding the point that I'm trying to make, so let me show you a few more times where Jesus did this. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard of the death of his cousin John, Jesus withdrew to be alone with the Father. It says as soon as Jesus heard the news about John, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was and headed and followed on foot uh, uh, from many towns to come and find him. In the midst of grief, you know what Jesus did? This is Sunday school at this point. We should all be on the same page. You ready? He got alone with his father. He got alone with his father. And he's doing it so that you and I would have an example to follow. Let me give you one more There are more of Mark chapter 6, verse 46. At the end of a full day of ministry, after Jesus feeds 5,000 people, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself too. He got alone with his father. John 15, 4 says this. uh, Remain in me. There's your word for the new year. There's your goal. Make this your goal. Those three words. Remain in me. When you work, remain in me. When you date, remain in me. When you spend money, remain in me. When you celebrate, remain in me. When you grieve, remain in me. When you cry, remain in me. When you can't sleep, Remain in me. When you're tempted to be overcome with anxiety, remain in me. This is the Christian life. It is not complex. It is just extremely hard to consistently do. It's all about you and I remaining, abiding in the Father by the Spirit because the Son by his blood is made away. Remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. I want this to be the most fruitful, effective year of your life, but maybe not on your goals and agendas that you've set out. I want it to be the most fruitful and effective year where God's fruit is seen in your life. I want the community around you to be fed spiritually by the fruit on the vine of what God has produced through you in the new year. And it doesn't take you being a spiritual titan. It takes you being a consistent remainer. If you will consistently remain in God, then he will do in and through you what you cannot do in and through yourself. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus' private life prepared him for his public life. Most of us are unprepared in our public life because we've not spent time with Jesus in our private life. So therefore, the fruit is erratic if visible at all. And here's what you need to know. Most good habits in your life will be forced habits. Bad habits, they're easy to find. Roll out of bed instead of sitting up in bed. Eat whatever you want, but don't pay attention to any of it. Whatever looks good, sounds good, tastes good, go have it. But if you want to have good eating habits, there is a lot of intentionality that goes behind it. If you want to have good health habits when it comes to exercise and fitness, you've got to have a lot of good effort that goes behind it. Those Lack of habits in a lot of our lives point to the fact that there is a greater need for structure that comes from the good habit of getting along with the Father that most of us do not consistently keep in our life. Now, I would submit to you that getting along with God is a proven practice that most of us know, but most of us do not practice, which is why most of us are starting to check out of this sermon. 
So what I want to do in the few moments I have with you before we turn the calendar year is I want to talk to you about what I do when I get alone with God. Because for a lot of you, you read that Jesus got alone with the Father, and then you go home, and you're like, okay, I'm here, and I've got a Bible, and I'm hoping that this is going to meet with me, and he put them all to the edge of the sword and killed them. Okay, God, I'm not sure that was what I was looking for. That's going to put me in the paper for the wrong reasons. How, how many of you... <laughs> have been in a season of life some of you are like well it says it's in the word to kill them so I mean that, that, you did not get that from here don't you uh uh-uh, uh uh-uh. don't you go to you go be on the paper in the courthouse in downtown Greenville and my pastor told me we should put them to the end of the sword no I did not nope you opened your bible and said the spirit led you there that, that's, uh-huh. which spirit you see you didn't ask which one Satan proof text this thing too. Um, what do you do when you get along with God? Well, let me break down what I try to do when I get along with God. And this is challenging. The first thing I try to do is this, and this is difficult for me. You ready? I get quiet. That's tough. I've got ideas, I've got suggestions, I've got plans. And usually I like to lead with my suggestions and plans. And let me be honest, God loves us enough that he takes our plans and considerations that we bring to him into consideration. He he enjoys those things. But when you get alone with God, the the first step for me in order to hear from God is I need to get quiet. Psalm 55 verse 22 says this, uh, Give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. So God, I want to get quiet. How do I get quiet? Well, I unload. I unload. God, I, I, my, my brain is so consumed with an answer to this problem, uh, so consumed with getting out of this situation. It's so consumed with fixing that conversation. It's so consumed with uh, getting a resolution on a finance or goals or my health or my bad habits or my addiction that, that I can't even come to you open-handed to take whatever you would have for me. So God, I, I need to bring my burden to you. I need to unload that burden and go, God, here, here's what's keeping me from just wanting you. Because that in your time with God should be the first and primary goal. The goal is not to get from God a solution to go back and fix something. The, 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 the goal is I get God, right? I, ju- I just want to get God. If it's not to get God, then I want to communicate to you that that is a sign of immaturity. If you're coming to God to get something from him to fix what's already broken apart from him, then more than likely what you're wanting God to do is you're wanting to be your mechanic but not your Lord and your leader, and the, the, the point of what we have with God is that he would be Lord, leader, the, the treasure of our heart, the uh, aim of our eye, the, the, the vision that motivates us for our living. I, I don't think y'all are hearing me this morning. You see, the, the aim is that I would wake up and make him the goal. N- not something that he would give me, but him. The, the goal is not what's in God's hand. The goal is his face. And you and I get the opportunity because of the blood of Jesus to go into the throne room and seek the face of God. That's the aim. I want to see God. I want to know God. I want to walk with God. I want to love God. And in doing that, the byproduct is that when I am near to God, the blessings that God wants to give freely flow to me, but they do not become the idols of my heart. They become the benefits of the goal, which was being near to God. 
I want God. So sometimes I've got to come before him and acknowledge there are things getting in the way that are trying to quench my hunger and desire for you. So God, I'm going to offload. I'm going to bring my burdens to you. First Peter 5, 6 and 7 on the same subject says this. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. Many of us come to God knowing what we need and we don't need God to tell us. We just need him to listen. And in your arrogance and in your pride, what you don't know is that you do not know what you need. (laughs) You have no clue what you need. And that's the humbling part of coming before God. If you could fix it, you wouldn't have come to God. But because you can't fix it, you come to him. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries that block fellowship and cares to God for he cares about you. What do I do when I get before God? I get quiet. There's this guy named Bernie Krause. He records nature sounds for a living. That's a job. (laughs) Some of you have read, like Cheesecake Factory is in L.A. where they make all the cheesecakes they ship out for mass production. I had a guy that did heating and air. They have a Cheesecake Factory tasting room where they pay people for, at the time, I'm sure it's more now, 40 plus thousand dollars a year to come into that room and daily eat cheesecake. (laughs) Volunteers tribute. Right here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. It is I, Lord. I will go and taste the cheesecake today. I will eat it if you send me. Just keep the diabetes away. Okay. Thank you. Some of you are like, did you plan that? I made that up. Yeah. That's called attention deficit disorder. On display. Bernie Krause records nature sounds for a living. Back in the 60s, to get one hour of uninterrupted nature sounds, it would take him 10 hours of recording. Today, in order to get one hour of undisturbed nature sounds, no airplanes, no one walking through the woods, it now takes him around 1,000 hours of recording. My point is, the world is loud, and it is important if you want to hear the voice of God, that you get quiet. Elijah was in a season of extreme, incredible ministry. He had just seen God drop fire from the sky and ignite an altar on fire and the bell priests fall before the living God. Jezebel sends a threat to him and says, I'm going to kill you. And at the end of a radical, incredible, momentous season of ministry, he runs and wants to die. He doesn't want to live anymore. So he's standing in the cave, not wanting to live anymore, having likely in all of the success of ministry forgotten the goodness, the character, the provision of God that has taken care of him in every season of his life. He's worrying, he's fretting over one woman in his life, which, I mean, that's where a lot of you are today. You're, I, can't, I just can't even do it. My point is, my point, my point is he's, he's worried, he's stressed, he's, he's, he's at the end of his rope. 
He comes out to the mouth of a cave where God's going to speak to him. And there's a rushing wind that's loud, but God wasn't in the noise of the wind. And there was an earthquake, and it was loud, but God wasn't in the noise of the earthquake. But then afterwards, there's a word in Hebrew that's translated as small wind that's in the text. And it says that like a whisper, the voice of God comes. Here's what you need to know. Your world likely is loud. Your life is busy. And if you do not make a consistent practice of getting alone with God, then what likely will happen is the small whisper of God's voice will go through the noise and past your ears and be something that you miss. So you get along with God. The way that I do it is I get quiet before God. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said this. Then Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. What do I do? Number one, I get along with God. Number two, I get honest. And this is going to be hard for some of you because you have been the most honest you can possibly be, which has still not been completely honest your whole life with everyone around you. You've constantly played the part of a character. I never will forget, there was a girl named Lindy uh, Latham down in uh, Greenwood, South Carolina, where I first had uh, student ministry. And she was in my student ministry and was one of our, uh, she was an adult that led a small group in our student ministry. And we had so many students, had a full revival going on. We baptized, I think it was 48 students one night um, in our youth group, like, like, like real revival type stuff. I mean, like kids just leading kids to Jesus. I've told some of the stories before. Had one girl that led like her entire lunch table to Christ during lunch at school. The principal called, it's like, you gotta come down here and fix this. I go down, they quarantine the revival in a classroom of all the kids that are wanting to give their life to Jesus. They're all emotional and crying. Little Emma standing at the front door like, she's like, did I do something wrong? I'm like, no, you did something right. And I looked at the principal and said, right? And he was like, yeah, you know, he didn't know what to do with it. And, and like it just crazy kind of God stuff started to happen. Well, Lindy had grown up in church her entire life. She, she had played the part of being a Christian her entire life, but she had never been honest once before those that were around her or before God. So one night, this kid named Joseph Argo, uh, tall, lanky guy, got up to share his testimony at youth group, and he got up and couldn't speak. Like He literally couldn't speak. No words, I can't, he could, for like five minutes, and he just begins to weep. And we just let, and like, we just let it happen. And he's, he just starts to cry. And the only thing you can get out after like five minutes is, I love him. I love him. I love Jesus. I love him. I love him. And that raw honesty broke away the coldness of her heart. And she came forward and confessed that she had been an alcoholic for most of her life and no one knew. Not even her husband, her kids, no one knew. That she didn't even know that she believed in Jesus. That though she had prayed a prayer when she was a little kid, she kind of did it because her friends were doing it and didn't know what it actually meant to be a follower of Jesus and got really uncomfortably honest with the community around her. She's now a devoted follower of Jesus. God's done some incredible things in her life. Uh, God cannot transform a lie. But he can transform you in your real state. Psalm 62, verse 8, it says this. Psalm 62, 8, oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him. See, that's not PG-13. PG-13 is the ritual that you try to, like, doctor up with language that you think is filled with things that God wants to hear. But sometimes what, what, what you've got to say before God, you understand that's why we were given the Psalms? Like, like the Psalms is like a case study in a, because it's a guy named David that wrote a lot of them. And in one Psalm, 
it talks about the faithfulness of God and, and how God cannot be conquered and how God is able in all seasons and circumstances to overcome and he's mighty and triumphant. And then in the next Psalm, it's like, where are you, God? Now, they, didn't, they weren't written on consecutive days. It's not like Psalm 32 was written on the 32nd day of you know, one year and then Psalm 33 was written on the 30th. Like they, they're not written in consecutive order, but what you need to know is that in the Christian experience, there are days where, where if you're being honest before God, you're coming and going, what's going on? Where are you at? Uh, what, what has happened? And, and, and a lot of people are like, well, I wouldn't do that to God. Well, the truth is, is you think it internally. And for a lot of you, you... you <laughs> It's that honesty that reveals a heart that's displaced from God that allows for there to be a healing for the heart to come back to God and see him clearly. And so he invites us, pour out your heart, be honest, lay out what's going on in your life, your concerns, your frustrations. So what do I do? I get quiet before God. I get honest before God. Number three, I then seek to get perspective from God. This will probably be the last one I get to teach you. There's, there's more, but I'll give you this one. I, I try to get perspective. So there's a lot happening fast in my life. I need to get re- res- perspective. How do I do that? Well, I reflect three ways. You've heard this probably before. I've borrowed it. You reflect upward, inward, and outward. I reflect upward, inward, outward. So I get quiet. I get honest. I get perspective. How do I get perspective? I go upward. I first start by reminding myself that God has not changed. The Lord's prayer begins with our Father who is in heaven. The point of that is not to say that God is distant from us, but that God is over us, that God is in authority around us. And so I need to be reminded sometimes when it feels like God is no longer in control, that God is still in control. And so I remember that God has not changed in his character, though my season, though my circumstances have changed. So I like to remind myself that the God that I don't see and sometimes don't feel is still with me. I reflect on scripture that reminds me of the presence of God, that he'll never leave or forsake me, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him according to his will and purpose. I I spend time remembering things about God that have not been negated by my current experiences that I'm going through. So I get upward because I need to be reminded that God still is on the throne and God still is in control. Most assume God's absence when things go bad. But I want to be the kind of person through this practice that assumes his presence. Are you not paying attention? I assume his presence. And the way that I keep that as a consistent practice in my life is I get upward and remember his character. I then go inward, inward. I remember who I was before Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 tells me this uh, when I'm doing inward reflection. Once you were dead. So here's good news. If you are in Christ Jesus, you may be experiencing things that seem to contradict God's character. You may be going through seasons and struggles that you didn't have before you met Jesus, but you're not spiritually dead anymore. So congratulations. I mean, that's something, right? You were dead But now in Christ Jesus, you're alive. You're alive. And this is the beauty. I go inward. I remind myself, I may not be where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. It may not look the way that I want it to look, but man, it's a whole lot different now that Jesus has stepped into it. To get inward, I begin to reflect on who I was before I met Christ. Then I begin to remind myself of who I am in Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into this wonderful light. Who was I before I met him? Who am I now because of what he has done, stepping into my life by grace through faith to become my Lord, my leader, and my Savior? My question to you today is which identity, when you go inward, are you listening to? Are you believing that you're still the person that you were before you met Jesus? Or are you identifying with the scriptures and what they say about who you are now that you've become in Christ? If you're in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation. You are forgiven. You are set free. I mean, Paul writes by the Spirit to the church in Corinth that's doing sinful and horrible things to the saints in the church in Corinth. Their behavior was not saint-like, but their identity was that of a saint because of the Savior that had marked their existence in their life. I get perspective. I go upward, I go inward, and then finally I go outward. Why do I go outward? It helps me to remember why the world is broken. There's, there's sin in the world. Sometimes it's my sin that creates brokenness in the world. Sometimes it's the sin of others that creates brokenness in the world. Sometimes it's the, the enemy and his kingdom that seek to snuff out and take away and steal from the fruit of what God does in us. We're in a, a broken world. I then ask this question, what is God's response to the world? It's the gospel, so what do I need whenever I'm frustrated by the brokenness of the world? I need to re-gospel myself. I need to remind myself of the good news, that Jesus has made a way where there was no way, that he's lived a life that I couldn't live, that he's died the death that I deserve to die, that he was my substitute and my sacrifice on the cross. Therefore, it has been fully paid, and I do not need to achieve. I do not need to earn. I do not need to overpromise. I just need to be obedient and get before God. I just need to trust in Jesus, take up my cross, and follow him. That's the aim, not some promise of some grand gesture that's going to make up for what I've done. I'm not trying to pay back what the blood has already paid for. I'm just warming up. I don't know what y'all got going on today. We might need to come back in. It's probably the Lord's in this. God's response to the world. What's this response to the world? It's the gospel. And what is the believer's mission? It's our job to be kingdom citizens. So I go through this process. The world is sinful. The gospel is good news and true. And that has now given me a mission to be a kingdom citizen in the world around me. I'm reinvigorating myself for the mission of what God has called me to. Hmm. To be honest, I'm having to spend a lot of time fighting against letting momentary things making, that, that are trying to make me bitter. So I've got to get along with God. Because I'm, I'm, I'm capable of being catty. I'm capable of being bitter. The last three, just so you know, I'm not going to preach them. Number four, I get truth. That's when I dive into the Word. Read the Word. Read the Word. Meditate on it day and night. They'd be like honey on your lips. Maybe something that you allow to go from your head into your heart so that it transforms the actions of your heads. It may be weaponized in your life. Read it. Read it. Most of you can quote more Friends episodes or Office episodes than you can quote Scripture. Let's make this the year where we flipped the script, where you begin to become a person that exudes the Word of God whether you want to or not. I have people that come to me all the time. They're like, why, why, you know so much Scripture. How do you know so much Scripture? Can I, can I tell you the secret? The Holy Spirit leading me into time that is alone with God, allowing me to read the Bible, and then it just gets stuck there. And I, there are times where I recall scripture that I don't recall remembering. It just comes out of me. It just happens. 
I want to abide in Christ. I want to be surrendered to him. And when I'm doing that, he, he brings the word out of me. Get in front of the word. Get truth. I said I wasn't going to preach it, and here I am. Number five, give confession. Give confession. Sometimes after reflection, upward, inward, outward, sometimes after reading scripture, what you come out of that with is conviction that leads to you recognizing your wrongs, and you've got to confess, God, I have sinned first and foremost against you and you alone, Lord. I have misprioritized, I have misplaced, I have uh, misfocused my life around something other than you. I give confession, that's 1 John 1, 9. And then last, I give him worship. I end my time, usually in the car, on my way to work, singing as loud as I possibly can. Usually it's not with the radio on, usually it's just songs that I'm singing close to the key, but not quite in it, and I am worshiping God because I need to. I need to in a car on I-85 to, to lift a hand and worship the Lord. It's what happens. I sing hymns. I sing uh, psalms that I make up in my head to songs. I mean, you just heard me make up a stupid song. I can make up some not stupid ones that still aren't great, but I still make them up and sing them to the Lord as praise and worship. I, I have been made to be a worshiper of God, so why would I let a day go by with me not worshiping God? Let's get along with God. It's simple. Man, it's simple, but it's so hard to do. So what would it look like this year if you made the goal of making a habit of at some point every day getting away from people and getting alone with the Father? Man, I, I believe that if you could stack that for a week, you would look like a different follower of Christ. You would be rooted in your identity and rooted in your confidence in his presence. Man, if you could get a month of stacking days of getting alone with God under your belt, man, you, you, you probably would start walking as if you're expecting the Great Commission to be fulfilled, not in spite of you, but through you. You, you might start walking around anticipating the work of God around you, not hoping that you stumble into it. Man, if you could stack three months of getting alone with God on a consistent basis, can you imagine what would happen? You might be in conversations, and as people are having problems and frustrations, that they're communicating to you, the word from the Lord by the Spirit starts coming up out of you and you begin to admonish and encourage and instruct and look and remind others of the written word of God that gives us good news and light in darkness. Can you imagine, okay, can you imagine a year from today? <laughs> if for the majority of that year, you just got into the habit of getting along with God, can, can you imagine your love for Jesus a year from today if that were to be the case? Can, can you imagine your confidence in your identity as a follower of Christ a year from today, if you spent every day at some point during that day, a, a period of time alone, can, can you imagine the possibility? See, many of you already have motivations on a year from today how skinny you're going to be, but I, I, I could care less how skinny or fat you're gonna be. I, I love cuddly people that have a little bit more to love, and I, I love skinny people that need to eat a little bit more. But man, I, I'm concerned over your spiritual state a year from today. Imagine a year from today what it would look like if you got along with God and God moved in your life. Our prayer team's gonna come forward. We'd love to pray with you. You move us to the Lord leads in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.